You can sit with us podcast with Lex TV. Jeanette Jordan is a strategic business consultant and coach with a passion for advising C-suite leaders and founders as they grow, scale, and pivot their businesses. She worked for over a decade in the technology industry in various marketing positions at NextRoll, Factual, Newstar, Verizon, Millennium Media, and PayPal. Prior to joining the tech industry, Jeanette worked as an engineer and construction manager until the financial crisis in 2008. That subsequent career transition planted a seed, and for the past 10 years, Jeanette has been helping other people learn how to leverage and reposition their knowledge, skills, and experience to find new career opportunities. In addition to advising professionals on role transitions and assisting startups with their growth and agility initiatives, Jeanette provides executive outsourcing services to help startups meet short and midterm needs. She is also an accomplished speaker and podcaster on topics ranging from strategic growth, leadership management, data storytelling, and DEIB to stakeholder capitalism. Jeanette received a dual bachelor's degree from Spelman College and Columbia University in mathematic and civil engineering and holds an MBA from the University of Maryland College Park. You can sit with us podcast with Lexi B. Jeanette, how are you? I am so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming. And you know what? Thank you for always supporting my crazy dreams. I feel like I just be doing random things and you're like in my top five to call and you're always game. And I just really appreciate that. I I love that. But I also think that maybe it's an occupational hazard as an executive coach. I think that's what I do is I hold space and encourage people's crazy dreams. That's where innovation happens. That's where creativity happens. It's true. I really feel like I could call you at like 2 a.m. and be like, so I decided that I want to build an amusement park. And you'd be like, great, call me at 7, but let's talk about... First step. Let's talk about land ownership, <laughs> but call me at 7. But you would answer, though, and that's the most important <laughs> thing. It's a, we all need support. We all need a support team. I love that. So what are you drinking with us today? What's in your coffee cup? Um, Always hot tea. I am a tea drinker. I love sipping the tea literally and metaphorically. And what kind of tea do you drink? Oh, um, I think my favorite right now is ginger. I make my own with like raw ginger and honey. You make your own tea bags? No, not a tea bag. I take ginger root and I shave it and I boil it. And then I put some honey in it. So ginger tea. I make like a fresh ginger tea. Y'all, season two is full of all the granola people who make their own drinks. You are not the only one. We have somebody on season two who makes their own hot chocolate from scratch every morning. And I'm just like, pew. Because usually it's like I put it in a Keurig or I order, you know, a $25 latte from Starbucks to DoorDash it. And all of you were like, nope, I plant in my own garden. And then I put it in the kitchen and I chop it up. That's fantastic. Yeah. I think fun fact about me is I used to be a bartender uh, when I was in oh. college. I worked my way through college bartending. So I love like the mix of art and science of craft drinks. And then as I've gotten older, you know, alcohol doesn't serve me the same. I'm a mom. So I've, I've taken that craft and that love into other drinks. So I make, um, some of my own hot teas or I love loose leaf tea. And then I've gotten really into making my own simple syrup and flavors around how I sweeten my drinks, which is really cool. I love this. Let's all go back to the earth. Let's just all go back to the earth. <laughs> 
So basically, Jeanette doesn't even grocery shop. She just makes it all. <laughs> well, I got to get the ginger root from somewhere. Growing ginger, maybe next year. Next year, that'll be uh, on my list. I'm here for it. I support. I support. Where are your people from? And I love asking this question to all of our guests because I think that understanding where your people are from gives us a better understanding of who you are. So where are your, where are your people from? Yeah. I love that. You know, uh, for one, I can trace, right? Uh, my people are from here, the United States. My people help build this country. Um, one of my grandfathers is from Bennettsville, South Carolina. So really um, a lot of tobacco plantations and things of that sort. And um, his beautiful wife, my grandmother, who's still living, is from Philadelphia. So the mix of this kind of uh, country roots and city girl, I do think helps really define me both on the East Coast, though. So very much East Coast representing. I was born and raised in New Jersey. So let's get into this lesson, which is for you navigating hard conversations at work, which I chuckle because I think this is one of the most important lessons anybody will ever understand. Mm. I also chuckle because I think that I learned this lesson the hard way a few times. So no, folks, you should not be cussing people (laughs) out in the conference room. That is not how you communicate. And I also realized in my personal career growth that as soon as I learned this skill, my career went from zero to 100 very, very, very quickly. When I learned how to express myself in a way that was half thug of like F around and find out, but also very half professional. (laughs) That was like, this is not actually in my scope. And when you mix those two things, your career will go very, very far. So with that said, I want to first ask you, when did you realize in your career that you needed to learn this skill? Yeah. So my first example of needing to learn this skill really didn't have to do with my specific career. I was, I had my first corporate job. Um, I My first career was in civil engineering and construction management. So it's a very different work environment. Went to business school, ended up in a corporate office post-business school. Um, I had a great manager to start out. And then like most companies, there was a reorg. And I had a new manager who is just not very skilled, not very trained, um, not very well mentored. And nobody, you know, I got the sense, you know, construction is very different. It's very in your face. It's very direct. It can be very rude. People would physically fight. And and that was kind of acceptable in makeup, you know, like the next day. So I came from a place that was very raw, high emotion, but we would say it, mean it and get it out and kind of move on. So coming into a corporate environment where it's like nobody really says things directly, um, people don't always mean what they say was really shocking and stark for me. So this person was not a good manager, but nobody would tell him. And I remember the first time we experienced a 360 evaluation and he got his results or they got their results. And this person was like, whoa, you all cannot. Oh, so we didn't tell them in their face. But when it was time for the evals, your team railed. The anonymous. <laughs> yeah. The anonymous evaluation um, really caught this person by surprise and changes started to happen. And so I got to see the power of Nobody said anything and we suffered for a really long time. Mm. And then with being armed with the information, 
this person started to make changes, get a mentor, get some training, and things really did start to get better. Unfortunately, it was one of those, it was a little too late because the team had been, you know, suffering for a long time. But I realized, had we had the the skill to have a hard conversation, things could have been different, right? Mm. Not only for the manager, but for us and our working conditions. And so I thought that that was a really eye-opening moment for me. So who taught you how to do it? I have, uh, since getting into corporate, always been a little bit of a learning and development geek. Fun fact about me, I don't read, I only read nonfiction books. I read business books for fun. So having started my career, and I kind of had a series of managers who were not very good or struggled. And so I started deciding to learn about management, right? What is this thing and how could it be better? So, you know, hard conversations. I would, I'm the person who always signs up for the L&D training. Uh, you know, I read all different types of books in Oprah's masterclass. So I think it's a combination of being self-taught and really raising my hand for the available training and workshops through through corporate. You know how I learned, and I'm for the record, I'm still learning because I do think that thug side of me still exists, and I love her. <laughs> I love her. Um, is that I think that early on in my career, when I actively decided I had to learn, yeah. I would show up to meetings with high ranking people and just watched how they fought mm, yeah. in meetings, and I would listen to how people say things. And then I would listen how that thing is received. Yeah. And then I would start crafting how that could come from me. Yeah. Possibly in a different looking body and in a different gender. And I just played with it. I do think looking back, maybe if I read some books and more was more intentional, I wouldn't have had any, um, I wouldn't have had as much mess ups. But I think a lot of mine was just like playing in real time and being like, I'm going to say this. And how did that stick? And then, you know, navigating that. Yeah. But you said something important. You you learned how to make it your own. And I think leadership is not a one size fits all. And I work with a lot of leaders on communication and navigating conflict. And I think it's important to define your style. And I know something we share in common is having a theater background. And so I love what you said, because I think it's a lot, whether it's theater or music or, you know, language, whatever you learned. I think that there's something to learning the skill and the fundamentals. And then there's something to the mastery of you have to make it real and make it your own. It won't come across well if you're putting on someone else's style. So it's really important to kind of learn some best practices, but ultimately cultivate your own style of leadership or, you know, gravitas, executive presence, because some of this is just how do you stand your ground and and how do you take up space? And it. In an authentic way, too. And I think that um, yeah. authenticity is now this buzzword. It's kind of like bell bottoms in the 70s. Like everybody's talking about authenticity, <laughs> even though <laughs> I'm very big on like authenticity is a spectrum and like nobody wants to see you that authentic at yeah. work. That'll cost you a lot. Tell me more about what does it look like to develop this skill while being true to yourself? Yeah. So, I'll, you know, I'll give you an example. Um, I'm coaching a leader right now who tends to be very kind, has much more of um, a quiet presence, really speaks only when it's in, important, right? Or they have something to say, right? So I'm like, you know, some of the other leaders in the organization come in hot and they're very argumentative, right? I was like, I don't think anybody would believe you, you know, coming in a meeting, slamming the table. Yeah. If you're like, what well, we're not going to do, right? Because that is not that person's demeanor in any area of their life. That's not their experience, right? But I said, there is something 
to having what I call a quiet power. There's enough, you know, there's something to say, hmm, I hear what you said and the decision doesn't change, period, full stop. No is a complete sentence, right? Like there's all of these ways that you can be direct. One of my favorite sayings is candor can be kind, right? Truth is love and candor can be kind, right? Mm. So how mm. for this person, I'm like, I don't think anybody's going to believe like a yelling, screaming vibe, but there can be a quiet power where you're like, mm, I hear you and the answer hasn't changed. That's still power. I think that's the most lethal power in the room. Those quiet leaders, I think, are the most lethal. And hear me out, hear me out. And the reason why is because I think that when we think of power, especially in modern day corporate capitalism, we think of TV and we think of succession and we think of law and order and we think of these, to be very honest, these very frank and boisterous, loud white men in suits. But to have someone, regardless of what they look like, to sit there and say, I hear you and I appreciate your opinion and no, period, is a full sentence, it will completely catch you off guard and you will shut up. Yeah, there, there's, a, there's a concept of, you know, like real G's move in silence. You know, you mentioned one of my favorite shows, Succession, and I'm a, I'm a TV geek. I love the character Nan from Pearson, right? She's an older lady and she's always using that to her advantage. Like, oh, they don't think I know what's going on. Okay, I'll get back to you. She making moves and buying companies right in the silence. So, you know, I think that for some people, power does look like being um, more assertive and boisterous. And if that is authentic to you, there's nothing wrong to learn how to step into that. But for some people, it can be very silent. It can be very strategic, right? Um, and that's okay too. So that's what I think about the authenticity, authenticity is how do you leverage what is core to your personality and use that to your advantage to get the outcomes mm. you want. So give me an example of a time that you've had to have a hard conversation with someone in a corporate space. How did you navigate it? What was the background? How did we get there? I think the hardest thing I've ever had to do is let someone go. Mm. And I think it's really important to even pick up that example because, you know, I know both you and I have a big part of our career in the tech industry. And a lot of people are going through this right now on the on the giving end, on the receiving end. Right. Right. That's by heart. It's the hardest thing. And it was really hard because this is a person that I knew outside of work. It's a person I consider myself friendly with. Um, candidly, it's a person that helped me get the job. Right. And so to, to set the, oh the standard, oh this gosh. person okay. really helped recruit me and encouraged me to imply and on the strength of our relationship outside of work, I ended up getting it, becoming this person's direct supervisor. And within a couple weeks, I was told I needed to deliver the news that they were not performing and they needed to be let go. Mm. So how did I navigate the situation? First off, I started with the facts. Gave me the performance evaluations. You know, what has this person been told, right? Because remember, I had only been there like a month, less than a month. Um, and I started with the facts. Um, and unfortunately, there were some people who had trouble having hard conversations. So they were giving you know, decent passing evaluations because they didn't want to have the hard conversation that they felt like this person was not performing. So then you had to do it. So that, yes. So, so you're, the, you're the cleanup woman. I hate being the cleanup woman at work. I hate it so much. I get so annoyed. Yes. You know, so I went into the conversation and I think true to form uh, because I've 
had coaching in my background, and because I think at my default, I am a coach, I really wanted to open up because there weren't a lot of facts in this situation with like, where did this person, how are they feeling? Where did they want to be? Is this place still serving them? You know, and starting to uh, send some warning shots across the bow um, that, you know, I don't think that things are going well. Um, I think this person kind of shared that perception, but they were able to get what I was putting down. Like, listen, if things don't change, we're really headed to we have to let you go conversation. And I was able to do it directly, but I was also able to do it with grace and with kind and consideration. I didn't come in hot like, oh, you know, I heard you suck and you're not performing and you're not this. I really tried to listen and tease out this other person's experience because I only had one side of the equation and really start to say, you know, from everything I can see, I don't think that this is working on either side. And how can I support you getting to a better place? And I'm really proud of that conversation. They picked up what I was putting down, started searching for a job, thankfully, and I didn't have to deliver the final blow. They were able to resign, right? But having the hard conversation, if and when you can, did at least give them a warning shot, for lack of better terms, so that they weren't caught flat-footed because this is somebody, again, I did have a personal relationship. And I'm really proud to say after that, I do. That person also understood the position I was being put in. And I think because I was able to do it with candor, right? I was direct. I didn't beat around the bush. But with also thoughtfulness, kindness, and grace, we have remained, you know, friendly. We're not the closest of friends, but we we, we maintain the same level of casual association as before. And I think it's really hard to do to let somebody go and still stay in their life, right? Yeah, yeah. But I think that based on what you told me is that people really appreciate honesty, especially in a corporate world, these corporate streets, y'all, where honesty is not ever on the table. I think people forget that humans can call BS, humans can call bullshit. And at least in my career, I've been able to call the BS, whether or not I say it out loud, Um, when it's happening and I just don't know how to navigate it. So a lot of times the hard conversations, in my opinion, are this is a hard conversation because I know that you're not telling me the truth. Yeah. And so now I have to go and call Jeanette or text her on the side and be like, so this is what happened. What are our three possibilities of what this means instead of the person just being honest? And so I think that person really valued your honesty because is it possible, like you said, that people were giving them the ring around for so long? They also knew that. Now they they might not know the details, but you know, like your your spirit knows when people are not. Yeah. Well, but it can also be confusing to be like, we're fine. It's fine. It's fine. Right? You're fired. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. No right. Yeah. So I feel like it it doesn't serve anybody. And again, back to my first example, had maybe somebody been willing to have the hard conversation, the relationship might have gotten on track. Right. The work might have gotten on track. The, the more accomplishments, more outcomes could have probably been produced better. You spend so much time spinning. You brought up two good points. Like one, we can kind of feel mm-hmm. when reality doesn't align with something going off, right? We ha- we're we intuitive creatures and we can feel where it's like, mm, I hear you saying it's fine, but something's not right. And we spend energy trying to solve that. And that's energy that's not going into our work. It's not going into our, our productivity, And so how can you get out of that spin is one. 
the other thing I heard you say is like naming it. Yeah. Sometimes just being like, this is a hard conversation. Yes. It is a good way to prep. This is not easy for me. This is not easy for you, but this is what needs to be done. Mm. I want to talk to you about starting a new job and or a new manager, reorgs, whatever, however you Mm -hmm. want to call it. Starting a new chapter in your career. When you have an opportunity, you as a human, to express how you would like to have hard conversations. Do you think that's a good idea with your new manager, with your new peer of having an honest conversation of how you would like to receive information, whether it's good or bad, and then asking them, how would you like to receive information? Yeah, I think it's it's great in um, the getting to know you process to start to share your preferences. I think you also have to let it unfold in somewhat of an organic way. I remember starting a job and this particular organization believed in user manuals. And I remember somebody handing me like a 20 page user manual about what they like, but not asking anything about my preferences, like really Wait, wanting pause. me to cater. So they, mm-hmm. they handed you a book about themselves? Yeah. I appreciate the detail, but that's just very overwhelming. <laughs> it's not only overwhelming. I think a relationship is a two way street. Yeah. Right. It's like, how can you have all of these things that you want to do or how you want to be treated? We have to create our own rhythm, right? So Lexi, fun fact, right? You tend to be an early riser. I am. I'm not. I know. Right? (laughs) So you cannot just say, oh, well, you know, Jeanette, I want you to call me between 5 a.m. and noon, right? Like, if we are going to help form a relationship, we got to find the overlap in the intersection, mm-hmm. right? So I think there's something good to sharing your preferences so people can be aware. But you also, in the same time, need to learn their preferences and start to figure out now in this dance, right? The two of us dancing together, what is going to work for the both of us? I don't think it should be don't come in hot and don't be too one-sided because a relationship is a bit of a two-way street. There's going to be some give and take, right? Like I really like verbal feedback, right? I like giving it. When you write it down, it feels like there's a serious and an intensity, right? But I definitely have had direct reports who are like, don't tell me, I can't take it. Or I have big emotions. I don't want to burst out in tears in front of you. Please email me, Slack me, or prepare me, right? Give me a heads up before you just give me feedback verbally, because I need to to steal myself. We have to find what works for both of us. So it's good to give information, but also don't give unless you're willing to receive. That's interesting. I also really like verbal feedback um, because in my opinion, when you write it down, similar to you, I'm like, oh, we doing receipts now, right? And that's where I go to. And so I always tell people that I work with, especially management, is that like, if you see something say it right then and there, because then I interpret that as, oh, we're trying to fix and move forward. Like Lexi spilled the milk. Don't do that again. I'm like, great. But then when it's like, let's meet on Thursday at 815 in the morning to discuss how you spilled the milk last week. That's when my big feelings come up. Yeah. And but for some people, they need time to process. They, mm-hmm. they may not be able to name or point out things right on the spot. They need time to digest or process and write it down so that they don't run amok. And so that's why I said, I think it's about developing the relationship and all relationships are not going to look the same. Hmm. Have you ever had a situation where you gave, you had to have a hard conversation um, or someone had to have a hard conversation with you because it goes both ways and it did not end up the way that 
maybe we wanted it to end up. Big feelings did come out. Oh, like my big feelings or their big feelings? Either or. Oh, that's interesting. Um, Yeah, I mean, definitely. I've had several. One that feels top of mind, and this is going to sound so weird post-pandemic, but I was asking for like a work remote situation. I wanted to move to a new state for kind of some family stuff. And I asked my company, could I work remotely, you know, one to two days a week? And they were like, no. And I knew there was another person in my organization, happened to not look like me, who moved to a new country. And had the same, yeah, yeah. You know, for fa- for personal family stuff that was driving it, moved to a new country, but they wouldn't let me do it. And so that was definitely um, some big feelings. Like I was, I was earlier in my career and I was really angry and I just didn't understand and they couldn't explain it. Um, and so that was a really hard conversation. And it and it ended up ruining the relationship. I left the company because I didn't feel valued. And, and here's the thing that I know much later on after being people manager and being a coach, I may not have been valued. Right. I, I, I probably. Yeah, I probably Ooh. wasn't valuable enough for them to make an exception to the rule. Now, I think the rule is stupid because in the pandemic, we've all proven that we can work remotely. But. I I think it's also a sign. And, you know, this is what I mean when I say candor is kind, like all information is good. I was investing and pouring in and thinking I had a future in a place. But the reality is I was not valued enough to be um, considered uh, exceptional, to make an exception for. And so that had me change the value that I placed in this company in my life. And ultimately, I think that's a good thing. Do you think the person who went overseas, they were more valued? I do. Based on their job or whatever? Okay. Well, it, I, I don't even think it's their role. I think that they had been there a long time and there was a lot of personal relationships. And so there was a lot of empathy given to this this person's personal life that was driving change. And I think that there was less empathy given to my personal situation. You just said a message in a word because I do think that understanding your value at a company is very key before you have any conversation about anything you want, good or bad. And you understanding what you think you you think your value is when you walk in the door, but you also understanding what they think your value is. Speak more to that. Well, so let's break it down. I love a lot of dating analogies because I think we we get it and we spend a lot of time, right? And it's like yeah. dating in the app world, right? You mm-hmm. you swipe and you're talking to multiple people. You probably rank them, right? Now, in your mind, you're a number one draft pick, and you probably are for someone. But you understand who's giving you that number one energy, right? Where are the good morning texts yeah. coming from? Where's the check-in on the midday? Or who is right. giving you the seat filler energy? My other dates fell through. Hey, what you doing? Can we do something today? As much as I feel like I'm a number one pick and I am for some people, jobs are the same way. There are certain people that they value, that they invest in, that they see as a culture fit, that they see that they can have this relationship with over the long term. And there's other people who are much more shorter, medium term getting the job done, but are seen as expendable and replaceable. And as much as that sounds harsh, right? I think if we can understand that and understand that we do that in all aspects of our life, including work, um, 
then we can start to match energy, right? Like, I don't think that it's a it's a problem to be real about who is actually delivering more value for you than others. I think it's a problem when we have a lack of alignment, right? If, if you're optional for me and I'm making you a requirement and mandatory, then we're, we're out of alignment. If we both know we're each other's options, right? If we made an agreement we are giving seat filler energy and you're not my focus. But when something falls through, I'll call you and we're in alignment and agreement, then it's all good. So I, I, I want people to be aware of that and pay attention because a lot of people do have trouble having hard conversations. So they're not always going to say it explicitly, but they will say it with their actions. So, yeah, I think that we do need to start matching energy. And it's interesting because especially in this world right now, with all of these layoffs that are still happening and things like that. I have conversations with people and see see the posts on the internet of people really, really sad that they got laid off. And for the record, as a person who has been laid off two times, um, I am not trying to take away empathy from that. Um, it is very sad and it is very daunting. But it's interesting. I remember the layoff from the first time that I got laid off where I was putting everything into the company. And as you said it, um, thinking back on it, the company, I was a seat filler on their dating roster. All these people did not care. It was in my paycheck. It was in my performance review. It was in how they treated me. It was in everything. But I was still trying to give, 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 give. Because I thought, well, if I continue to give, then one day they'll hug me back. That layoff was 10 times harder than the second layoff when I 100% matched energy from the day that I walked in the door. Yeah. And that doesn't have to be a bad thing. We're exchanging value. I'm giving you time, money, creativity, ideas for money. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. And I think at some times, you know, I I love the book and there's also a Medium article. I talk about it a lot. Crossroads is shit a mush. A job, a career, and a calling. Right. What Ooh. I'm going to pour into my calling is a little bit different than this is a job. A job might be seat filler energy. And I feel like a career is much more of a series of jobs that are going to make a bigger picture, help you build a bigger skill set, right? They, they, they may overlap and intersect and they may be individual. So don't assume Every job is leading to a career calling, like be intentional and in evaluating that. And when you can understand we're just exchanging time and money and this is going to go as far as it goes, you don't have to over index it. You can it can be freeing to be like, it's just a job. I'm going to work on my relationship right now. I'm going to work on my physical health right now. I'm going to work on my side hustle right now. Right. Because this is just a job. We don't have any long term future. And, and back to dating analogy, it can be fun to just casually date. It really can. It can. Yes, be out there. Jeanette, Why don't we think about that at work? What is yeah. just the fun job? I'm here. Let's hang out. Let's do the coffee. Let's what? do the corporate outings. Rah, rah. But that's it. No long-term potential. And when we both find a better long-term potential, we're going to move on and we're going to cheer for each other. Mm. Do you think it's hard for us to really understand that, us as a general concept, to understand that because... We have been raised, we as in people in capitalist society have been raised that we are our job. Well, I think it's generational. Tell me more. And, yeah. And and I think like we hear so much about ooh, Gen Z and blah, 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 because listen, they understand. Oh, the Gen Zers girl. Mm -hmm. 
Shout out they to the understand who this. Oh. If I can go there, F boy, F girl energy. Really? They do not care. I, I tell people, I'm like, these Gen Zers in the offices now, whether remote or non-remote, they literally came out the womb and their tagline, in my opinion, is F around and find out. They'd rather be on a corner, Jeanette. I feel like it's like I'm here for a good time, not a long time. And when the when the <laughs> when the care. good vibes go, so do I. I'm out. And I think that they're going to change the future of work. And I think it's so jarring because so many of us that are senior leaders in the workplace were raised with this career identity or what you were talking about. I love Brene Brown talking about hustling for your worthiness. Yeah. Or they don't see I'm great. I'm going to just bake the cookies. I'm going to go clean the house. I'm going to do this and they're going to see I'm great. Mm, maybe, but mostly probably not, mm. right? If they just don't see your value at the outset, it's, it's it can be very, very hard. It's not impossible, but it can be very hard to change that ident- um, that identity, that prioritization. But I do think I love this Gen Z. One, they came in with multiple options, right? We have Uber and we have DoorDash. We have all these ways that you can learn how to make money around your time, around your schedule, around your lifestyle without going to sit at the retail shop or the restaurant, punching a time clock. So their whole frame of reference is different. And so what they're calling for and demanding from work are different. So I don't think it's all of us. I think it's some of us and it's mostly the older leaders. And I think that this younger generation is going to force us to reframe. And I do think once we get over the shock that, and I think that the shock, I'm going to name it. I think the shock is we didn't think that we could do it this way. And so when someone breaks the rules and gets away with it, you're so mad, but you're mostly mad at yourself because you never tried to break the rules. Or I'll even, I'll even um, interrupt you and say, I think there's also this shock from the older generation where they're like, so wait a minute, because I'm paying you, because in my opinion, this check means so much to you for your livelihood that I can't treat you however you want to be treated, right? Yeah. And what I see at work, you know, I'm a Capricorn, I'm petty, is I love the Gen Z attitude of like, I would rather live in a box <laughs> on the corner begging people for quarters instead of dealing with your nasty attitude. I don't like yeah. the way you speak to me. I don't like the way you rolled your eyes. I had an intern last year, not tell me, because I'm a good manager, Jeanette, but I had an intern last year at a meeting tell a VP, and I quote, they said, I do not make enough money to do all of that work. And I almost died because guess what? They didn't. They're not wrong. See this VP's face. And it was, it was if this man saw a ghost, it was giving Scrooge Christmas Eve because. And and, and I want to be fair, right? When I say old people, I'm talking about me. I'm an elder millennial, right? So I'm a part of it, but it's hard because we were also taught, you know, I remember really early on the ish flows downhill, right? Like I was told when I got in the workplace, like you're supposed to suck it up and take it. And so it is also unfair for (laughs) this generation because they climbed to the top of the mountaintop thinking that they were going to throw the crap back down the hill. And these people said, what you're not going to (laughs) do. I will not be receiving it. I will not be receiving it, but thanks. And if that means that I eat PB&J for the next two months, blessings. But again, I feel like you can Uber, you can DoorDash, you can do all of these, you know, Angie's list, find ways to make money and not really be begging for quarters on the corner. 
And and that is also the innovation that we created. And so we're kind of getting bit by it. But I think it's going to lead to happier and healthier outcomes at the same time. So many of us that were in the workplace, taking the crap, uh, hustling for our worthiness, are burning out and not happy. Yes. The majority of us millennials are burning out and not happy. That, that may be a separate episode, yeah. but I will say it with my chest. The majority of millennials are not happy. We need to do a part two on that. We yeah, we are not two. happy as a collective, right? Our parents, they got houses for $100,000. We out here getting the same house, a two bed and two bath for $1.5 million and can't afford it. Okay. When my mom went to college, it was not you know, 50 grand a year. When I went to college, it was $50,000 a year, our debt intake. So yes, millennials, the collective is not happy. We are mad. Okay. And and I think that that grumpiness does play out in the hazing in this capitalist society, because we're like, at least somebody can also be grumpy. And then we have to F around and find out generation who were like, actually, I'm going to see my therapist. You should too. Yeah. And so, (laughs) and and they're forcing us into hard conversations. Yes. And they're forcing us into um, hard conversations about our, with ourselves and what we accepted. And the fact that we are not, they're holding up a mirror. And I think typically it was like, oh, don't say that. Don't move. The boss says jump. How high? You know, I, my, one of my favorite movies is, um, you know, don't tell mom the big bird sitter's dead, right? Like, I'm on top of it, Rose energy. All you say is I'm on top of it, Rose, you know? (laughs) And they're like, but I'm not, and I don't get it. And if you're not going to explain it, then I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And if it's, and if it's not part of, as you said, if it's not part of my calling, because this is your calling, not my calling, I'll clock in and clock out, but I have no problem explicitly telling you that I'm clocking in and clocking out. I'm not putting in effort. There is no strategy. If you want to walk in at 815 with a coffee and give me like a to-do list, I got yeah. you fam. Um, but I'm not putting anything in extra. So yeah. to close this out uh, and bring it back to navigating hard conversation and folks, this whole thing is important because I do think Jeanette, what you're saying is, is that when you peel the hard conversation away, it's not mm-hmm. just about here are the steps to take in 30 minutes to have this conversation. It's yeah. also about building those relationships. It's also about understanding the energy in the room with that person. And it's yeah. also about understanding your value to this job, to this work, and then to this hard conversation, because it may, it may come out differently depending on what area of the value spectrum that you want to sit in. Right. Yeah. And and here's the thing. If you do want practical tips, right. I I would definitely say Google, there's all types of great ways. Like, you know, the ST, um, IO framework of feedback, right? So, you know, give some situation, talk about the behavior, talk about the impact and the opportunity. There's a lot of great tactical things. But again, having the the context, if we were to back up, which I think is what we've really been talking about, to know where you really are. And I mm. think the best analogy I have is thinking about a chessboard, right? The queen is the most powerful. Are you a queen or are you a rook, right? And so thinking, are you a pawn, right? Are you expendable, right? Are you on that front line where we know... The pawns are going to get decimated in the game. Yeah. So, you know, and even if you make it to the other side, it's not as more powerful as protecting the queen. So I think if we can understand where you fall, that's also going to give you really good context for the conversation. Right. You find the place 
where you are going to be valuable and you're going to be a queen to them, but that's not going to be every place in every context. So I think if you can come in knowing that, the way that you will approach these conversations will be different and probably give you better outcomes if you can understand what is the role you're playing in your organization today. Got it. Okay. This was fantastic. Jeanette, where can we find you? Where can we follow you? How can we support you? What's going on in your world? I love that. So you can, you know, find me, follow me, my website, all my social handles. I keep it easy. It is Jeanette, J-E-A-N-E-T-T-E, letter C, Jordan, like Michael without the money, (laughs) on all of the platforms, Facebook, um, Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok. I make it very easy for you to find me on all the platforms. That's awesome. My website, Jeanette C. Jordan. Don't hesitate to reach out. Um, One of the things that I'm working on um, is an e-course around career transitions. I love coaching people and I love working uh, with them directly, but I also understand people are budget conscious in this time of layoffs. So what I'm going to do is start to package together an e-course for the people who cannot yet afford to work with me so that they have an affordable option. And as they land that new job and role, then we can work together to help them get settled. I love that. Sis, you know, I'm always rooting for you and I'm always here for you because I know that when I call you at 2 a.m., you will answer. You will lovingly cuss me out and tell you to tell me to call you back at 11, but you will answer. And that's the most important thing. (laughs) I don't cuss you out. I don't cuss. Jeanette is chill. My my bedside, I call Jersey Jeanette. And it takes a lot to bring her out. I'm mostly like West Coast and pretty mellow now. Yeah. Yeah. It's that, (laughs) it's that Oakland water girl. It's that Oakland water. Um, We will talk to you soon. I love this. Thank you for having me. You can listen to, you can sit with us episodes on Spotify. For more information, visit our website, LexiB.com and our LinkedIn account at LexiB. And make sure to follow our podcasts on Instagram at SitWithLexiB. And don't forget to subscribe to our Spotify channel.